Hello and welcome to A Life in Music with Russell Scott. This podcast is dedicated to all you performers out there who want to be the very best you can be. Whether you're just starting out, a budding professional, just love performing, or have been professionally working in the industry for years, this podcast will help you be the very best. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget you can check out the website, alifeinmusic.com. Now, without further ado, please welcome the man himself. With over 35 years professional performance experience, 100,000 record sales behind him, and a career spanning the worlds of classical music and musical theatre, on film, on television, on radio, and on stage, this is A Life in Music with Russell Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Life in Music with Russell Scott, the podcast that is dedicated to you performers out there that really want to be the very best you can be. And each week I feature tips and tricks and behind the scenes and interviews and music and technique and lots of interesting uh, insights into the world of music and entertainment and particularly with emphasis in the worlds of musical theatre. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted and humbled that so many of you are enjoying the show and it would help me even more if you could go on to iTunes at the end of this podcast and just leave a review, uh, leave a rating. It would really help me get up the rankings a little bit more, get out to more people and help even more people. Now, you can also get onto my website at www.alifeinmusic.com, subscribe to the blog, and you can check out all the previous podcasts on there as well um, if you don't want to do that through your iPhone or your Android device. It's great to be getting out to so many of you and helping so many of you. And thank you so much for the continued feedback and messages that I get. Um, it's fantastic to get feedback and uh, it's fantastic to hear about what you're doing and uh, what you'd like to hear on the show and the people you'd like me to uh, interview. Well, on today's show, we've got a casting director and uh, producer, and he's an actor as well, but he trained as a dancer, and he's got some really great uh, tips and tricks from behind the scenes for you today, and we're going to give you our five biggest casting failures. So we're going to welcome to the show, Mark Pettit. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Russell. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well also, thank you, and thank you for having me on. You're very welcome, and uh, you're really welcome on this very bright and sunny morning in London. <laughs> it's uh, it's nice that the sun's out. It is, it's the same here in Kent. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about the five biggest casting failures ever. The biggest casting failures that you could do as a performer to basically ruin your chances of getting the job. And, uh, and Mark, you've got quite a lot of experience, um, not just in failing in castings, as we all have. Uh, as oh, we, in, as in we... failing period. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we've all had, you know, we've all had disasters in auditions. We've all we've all made big mistakes. But tell us about tell us about your career, so your journey through into the world of casting and running uh, in-house agency. Um, well, I, I started working professionally. Uh, oh, 33 years ago back in 1983 um and i i, I think i was inspired originally by uh, by west side story 
um, I remember it was one Christmas, long, long time ago, you know, going back to the mid-70s, and uh, I saw the mu movie musical for the first time. Um, and I remember being incredibly inspired by these guys on screen who, you know, the dancing was amazing. It was electric, but, but you know, they were cool. They were part of a gang. Um, and, you know, dancing in the 70s, um, basically guys didn't dance. <laughs> You know, the only I'm from Plymouth, which is a you know primarily a naval town, and I think the only the only guy who was kind of in mainstream media as a dancer at the time was Wayne Sleep. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously Wayne is not the most masculine of, of men, so I think you know any guys that took dance lessons at the time were considered to be gay. That's just the way people's perception was back in the seventies. So um, I started disco dancing lessons when I was six years old, and um, yeah, that's not camp, is it? It, well, some of, some of my costumes were, actually. I remember having a, a red satin shirt and a, a white cream suit like John Travolta that my mum made me. Um, yeah, not at all camp. Not at all camp. Um, but yeah, progressed from that to kind of ballroom and ballet and tap. And uh, I began drum lessons and uh, kind of got in, into it that way. And, and we had a, a, an amazing youth theatre group that was affiliated with, with Plymouth Theatre Royal. Um and we did some fantastic productions on main stage there. And, uh, yeah, my first professional show was uh, a play called Happiest Days of Your Life okay. um, when I was 11, which we performed at Plymouth Theatre Royal, actually the year after the theatre opened for the first time. And, uh, and that kind of got me, you know, basically into the industry and, and, and fueled my love for, for being on stage. And what happened next? You, you trained? I did. Um, I... Went to GSA for an amazing three years. Um, it was tough, actually. It was a really tough training. You know, it's not like university where you have a lot of free periods and time off and you can do your own thing. Um, we were there from, you know, pretty much nine till six, five days a week. And in the evenings and weekends, you know, you'd be going to watch the third year productions and, and helping out backstage. And when you weren't doing that, you'd be working part time to pay your way through. So it was a really, really busy three years. Um, but amazing, you know, kind of that time of learning your craft is, is really important and, um, and certainly made some lifelong friends there as well. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic school and still is. It is, it is, yeah. I think it's rated one of the top three, um, well, it has been for, for a long time. So, um, yeah, I was very proud to have trained there and um, it really kind of gave me a good footing to get into the industry professionally once I graduated. And have you, have you always, uh, in, in, all, in all the jobs you got, were they always as a dancer? Um, to begin with, primarily, yeah. I, my first job was dancing with Tommy Steele back in 1995, and we did a UK tour of his one-man show, um, which we then took to, to the Prince of Wales Theatre for three months. Um, but I did kind of six years of musical theatre, um, you know, West End, UK tours, and a bit of TV and a bit of film and stuff, um, and then went to, to cruise ships for almost eight years as a performer. Wow. Um, which I, I absolutely loved. It was a great time. And uh, I actually worked harder on ships than I ever did on stage, on land, funnily enough. <laughs> so you've really hard grafted, really, haven't you? It's not been a, you know, it's not just been sort of sitting around. It's You, you have to work very hard in this industry. I mean, we know that. You do. You do. And uh, um, I was fortunate in the respect that I, you know, for 14 years, I didn't stop. I, I didn't have a break. I, I bounced from one job to the next, which, you know, um, I think it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to do, but uh, I was lucky in, in that respect. 
And then, and then, when did when did in house come along? I mean, you you started up uh, an amazing resource, a website uh, for performers that's still still out there and running. And you've you've got an in house agency, and you you do casting. You're a casting director. How did you kind of get into all that, and how did that sort of evolve? Um, funny enough, it happened. <laughs> I think what triggered it was a really bad audition. <laughs> um, one of those awful days when everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for me as a performer. Um, and I gave such a bad audition. I just wanted the ground to swallow him up. I wanted to die of embarrassment. It was that bad. Um, and I think also by then I was, you know, I was physically exhausted. Um, I hadn't spent longer than, than, you know, over 14 years, I hadn't spent longer than 12 months in one place. Yeah. Um, I had a complete nomadic lifestyle, which, you know, while, while I love that, um, it was really tiring. And I just felt it was time to kind of, branch off in a different direction um and also you know very quickly realizing that while my heart was still willing my body certainly wasn't as a dancer yeah, yeah. and i couldn't compete with the guys who were 18 20 years younger than me um so it was all about finding a different direction still within the industry but that would allow me to progress um and work more on the production and, and the, the creative side of the industry yeah yeah and so what happened next? I mean, how did it all sort of, how did it all happen? I, I wrote a lot of letters to a lot of different casting directors. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get a short internship with Hubbard Casting. Um, so I did two weeks with them. Uh, the first week I learned lots about making cups of tea and taking <laughs> the bins out and uh, being a dog's body, basically. Um, but the second week was really interesting. I got to sit in on some castings with Dan Hubbard and kind of really see how they worked and how he interacted with the actors and what he was looking for. Um, and then I, I got a job with a, a corporate film company called Pretzel Films. Um, and they employed me as a casting associate. Um, again, another time when I managed to kind of learn a lot and, and gain a lot of experience. Um, and while there I was formulating the idea for in-house casting. Um, and basically I wanted to, offer a, a service where everything could be found under one roof um, and also you know, offering a lot of support uh, services that weren't available anywhere, anywhere else. So for example, we offered a counselling service you know, for people who are uh, particularly new to the industry. Um, we offered an accompaniment service. You know, you know, if you have an audition and you have to learn some sheet music, you send us the sheet music, we record it into an MP3 file for you to rehearse with. Um, so all these kind of things, as well as having the casting side and advertising auditions and stuff, um, but basically having it all under one roof, that was the initial idea for in-house casting. Um, and I think the agency was just a natural progression after that. Um, and, and the you, agency launched in 2011, and uh, we're going from strength to strength. Uh, so, and, what, and what sort of what sort of jobs are, are people getting? I mean, are you, are you specialising in an area in in musical theatre or dance or in film or in TV? Is it a mixed bag? I mean, what sort of what sort of things do you have you sort of focused your eye on primarily? It's it's a complete mixed bag. Things you know, right across the board, right from from musical theatre to straight plays to a lot of uh, TV and film and corporate work and music videos and uh, cruise ships and yeah. So I'm not specialised in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what's it like being a casting director? I mean, what's it uh, what's it like being on that side of the table? It's it's very different. Um, I think coming from a performing background, um, I completely understand the struggles and the worries that actors go through. So now being on the other side of the table, it allows me to, to really kind of get to grips with that and also, you know, offer some really good advice to people. 
Um, and again, you know, I still act in bits and pieces myself now, so I'm kind of juggling between both sides of the table still. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, breaking into casting, I think, is almost as hard as, as becoming an actor. Um, and there's no, you know, there's no course that you do. There's no, there's no accreditation that you have. It's simply about gaining experience and putting yourself out there. Um, it's one of those roles that is, is not really recognised a lot of the time. You know, you, you do a lot of the groundwork. Um, but, you know, there's no... There's no qualification to get doing this. It's all about getting experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like it's you know it's like as an agent you know it's like being a recruitment consultant almost. But but you're you know you're doing the job interviews and then and then you're trying to, to find the jobs for people and find the people to, to, to pair them up. Very much so. Yeah. Um. So what's interesting about about you doing uh, casting and still and still auditioning yourself for various things is does it make the auditions easier? Do you feel more relaxed doing the auditions because you kind of know what it feels like on the other side of the table? From a casting side or from a performing side? From a performing side. Uh, no, I still get just as nervous now as I did 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, you know, even though I've worked in casting now for a good few years, um, as an actor, I still don't know a lot of the time what the creative team are looking for. It's still very difficult to gauge and to judge sometimes. Um I think that is it. I mean, I think I think it is very difficult for a performer to know what the expectation is. I mean, you know, you kind of know what sort of standard you're 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 going for, but you kind of don't know exactly what they're looking for. Well, this is the thing, and, and particularly with commercial casting, um, you know, I think ninety percent of it initially is down to the way you look, even before you get into the room. Um, so, you know, if if you're an inch too small, or your hair is slightly the wrong colour, or you're two years too young, you know, you're not going to get into the room to be seen. It's so much to do about the way you look. Um, then when you get into the studio, that's different. Then you can actually show what you can do. Whereas I think the theatre auditions are slightly different in the respect that it's, a lot of it's down to um, your previous credits and where you've trained and who your agent is and, and what you can really do as a performer. So it's two different types of, of, of casting, but um, both equally as, as, as interesting. And I think that's one of the things that makes a great agent is not not just putting everyone up for everything. It's actually looking at the breakdowns and knowing what they're looking for, finding those right people and making sure the right people are going for the auditions. Yeah. Um, as a casting director, and I still feel very weird giving myself that title sometimes, but in that role, um, it's actually really annoying when agents just blanket submit. They don't read a breakdown properly and they just submit all their clients for a bunch of roles without reading, you know, the, the age brackets and, and the characteristics of each role and, and what, you know, the, the creative team are really looking for. So you end up with hundreds of submissions that are just no good whatsoever. And I think that's going to lead in very nicely to our next section I wanted to talk about. So Mark and I had the privilege, I think, of, of meeting in a, a very strangely, really, we met on Twitter, didn't we? <laughs> We did. And yeah. I think you started following me for following a, um, something I was probably posting about or my, my profile popped up or something and you started following me and we ended up chatting uh, and meeting for a coffee and just sort of sharing some stories and things. And so nothing transpired for, a, you know, for a, quite a long time, maybe a couple of years even. And I was producing uh, some review shows and things. Um, and then we started talking about maybe working together and... We ended up working on the uh, production of Godspell, which uh, was produced at the Lyric Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue in London's West End back in 2014. Um, and you came on as uh, associate producer, I think, for that. And then and then we paired up 
uh, formally to launch the UK tour of Godspell, which uh, went out on tour last year and was uh, just one of the most amazing and exciting projects I think I've ever been involved in. Um, and uh, I'm sure you will agree, it was a just a just a huge creative success. I mean, it was it was a pleasure working together, and it was it was it was a great experience. It was absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, I think a huge learning curve in many respects, but uh, just right from from start to finish, right from concept of what we wanted to do through to the casting process, through to opening night, it was just one of the most amazing journeys I've actually been on. And I think that's that's the thing. You, you know, it's you're always learning. I mean, we're always learning, whether it's in casting or as an agent, or whether it's that you're a te- you're a technical manager, or you're you're involved in the behind the scenes stuff in a theatre, or you're performing. We are always learning, and we're always trying to get better at what we do and learn from experience. And I think one of the things uh, I mean we learned certainly is is uh, about you know about theatres and about productions and about touring. And it was a really uh, great experience uh, in in many many ways and something uh, i'm i'm very proud of certainly i know i know you are too absolutely so um let's um let's just talk about uh our experience together because doing godspell led us to audition over 600 people for 10 roles and it was quite an extraordinary experience. I mean, we had a couple of closed rounds where we had um, got a breakdown on Spotlight and got out, out to many agencies. Uh, indeed, a lot of the agents were blanket uh, mailing and sending sending loads of inappropriate people across um, for the role. And then we had some open auditions, which really sparked a few surprises. I mean, I remember, I remember arriving at at AMTA, American Musical Theatre Academy in London, and on a, on a, on a horrible, rainy... Sunday morning in January it was freezing cold and we got there at sort of eight eight o'clock eight thirty and they were literally queuing around the block and we saw what 200 plus people I think that day yeah yeah that was a very very busy day but uh also successful we we if I remember rightly we, we added two members to our we cast did. that day two members indeed and some of those people had, had decided just to turn up on the day and do it. Some of them had, had told their agents. Some agents had said, go and get yourself along for an open call. Mm-hmm. I think open calls, I mean, what, what's your what's your feeling about open calls? Like my, mine really is is that they're really important and they're good to do. They're good experience. And you sometimes can get that job. It's not just, uh, you know, a, a hope and uh, a pray. It's sometimes you really can nail it just as much as a closed call. Absolutely, absolutely. I think... Um they can sometimes be like the old cattle calls of old, you know, where there are just throngs of people there trying to be seen for a handful of roles. Um, and I think sometimes because there are so many, many people to get through, as an actor or as a performer, you're not given a lot of time to show what you can do. Um, but generally speaking, and, you know, from, from a creative aspect, um, I think if you can't find who you're looking for through closed auditions, then opens are definitely a great way to go because, you know, there's always that chance you'll find a diamond in the rough. Yeah, and for me, I like I like doing the open auditions because I think it gives, sometimes it gives people chances and opportunities that wouldn't normally come around or they wouldn't necessarily hear about them or they wouldn't get those opportunities because maybe they don't have an agent yet or they've never had an agent or don't want an agent or their agent hasn't put them up for it but they really wanted to go for it. And I really, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in giving everybody a chance. I want to see lots of great talent and sometimes you see it in an open audition that you don't in a closed audition. Absolutely, absolutely. We, uh, we saw some amazing talent that day. We did. Um, and the, the hard thing is when you're, you're trying to, to match a cast together, um, 
And gospel was great in the respect that there were so many different types of music within the show. So we were looking, you know, for not just musical theatre, but for, for rock voices and soul voices and, and country voices. Um, and we, we, we assembled a cast who were just phenomenal. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the opens were a real eye-opener for that and uh, some great do's and don'ts and things that we saw on that day of, of you know, how you should present yourself when you walk into the room. We certainly saw we certainly saw and heard some sights. I mean, we had some a cappella performances, which were, you know, some of them were very good and some of them were horrendous. Uh, some people who come in and think they can sing and really haven't got a clue what they're doing. You know, and you get a lot of people that just don't know how to behave in an audition um, and the casting. And let's let's lead on now. Let's 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 start this next segment and okay. talk about the five biggest casting failures. And you've got a you've, you've we've put a list together of uh, of of these five, and you've, you're going to share these with us now. Uh, and let's start with uh, number one. Where do you, where do you go? Number one. For... <sighs> It's difficult because every casting director has their own way of working and they have their own preferences and their own, you know, the things that upset them, the things that annoy them, things that they like. Um, there's no hard and fast rule. But just as a general consensus, this is, is purely my own opinion and, and what has worked for me in the past and what doesn't work. Um, so I think first and foremost, my, my biggest bugbear are no-shows, people not turning up. Um, well, it's rude for a start. It is. Now, you know, being late is one thing. And, you know, and things happen in life, you know, cars break down, train drivers go on strike, people fall ill. It's, you know, things happen that can make you late for an audition. That's fine. Um, but to not show up and to have no word from either the performer or from their agent, it's just, you know, it's a waste of our time. And it, it means that that slot could have gone to someone else who well, could well, have been equally as talented and it's where you get blacklisted isn't it i mean it's a way of really not getting asked again to come and come and audition exactly and it, it seems to be happening more and more um which i really don't understand you know i think if you get an audition if you're fortunate enough to be able to you know to have an invitation to walk in through the door you know you should grasp it with both hands yeah. um and the worst thing is you know if i get a call from an agent or an email saying how did my client do with that casting and I have to turn around and say, well, unfortunately, they, they weren't there. They didn't, they didn't attend. And sometimes the agent wouldn't even know that their client wasn't there. Yeah, which is very which embarrassing. Is, it is. It is. It's not a nice conversation to have. But uh, So, yeah, not showing up and not communica communicating is my, my biggest faux pas. Well, I, don't think, I don't think people quite realise the amount of work it takes to schedule auditions and casting processes. And the inconvenience it causes or can cause for people not showing up at all when you have big gaps and you could have given opportunities to other people that are interested in actually taking the role and actually arriving when they didn't you know think on the day oh i can't be bothered i won't bother for this now mm -hmm. I, I don't think they realize that i mean i i get i get very frustrated with no shows and i just think you know what if they haven't got the, the common decency to to cancel their audition and they just want to just not show up then fine they obviously don't they're not committed to their to their their field they're not committed to their role they don't want the job you know they, they don't care about what they do exactly um, um and if they're not going to be care about that they're not going to be care to care about much else are they yeah. in terms of why would performing? you want to work with someone who would have that attitude yeah so yeah that's that's the the biggest mistake that that people can make i think initially and i think i think lateness is tricky because you know often auditions don't run to, to schedule uh, because 
sometimes you want to spend longer seeing somebody and sometimes you you know they're out in a couple of minutes mm-hmm. um and lateness really doesn't help i mean it's it's very hard for casting uh when people are running late because then the slot sort of run over and run over and you've only got a certain time to see a certain amount of people and i again i I just think if you're going to be late call in speak to somebody i mean you know the the production companies and the casting directors always give their numbers or email addresses and they've always got their ipads and iphones and computers next to them so they can see when something comes in somebody's going to be late they can make changes you know i i would say to people just have the decency if you're going to be late even if you're going to be five or ten minutes late phone and let them know because at least they'll have the you know they'll respect you for for letting them know what's going on rather than just turning up half an hour late and then you know we have the inconvenience of trying to slot you in yeah and if you can't contact us you know call your agent and get them to to call us it's just it's just a matter of communication it takes seconds to let someone know that you won't be there on time but yeah i don't have a problem with people people being late if it's a valid reason and they let us know that's fine and we'll always try and you know fit someone in and squeeze them in to try and see them if they happen to be there later than their appointment that's not a problem at all yeah and don't get arsy if you're half an hour late and you then can't be seen i mean (laughs) that's your problem you've you've got late for whatever reason you're late unfortunately if it's circumstantial you're still late you know there's not a lot you can do if the the the, you know the production team are running late and they can't fit you in it's just you know you're gonna have to say okay i'm really sorry uh see you next time kind of thing yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah So let's get on to number two. What is the the second biggest casting failure as a performer? Again, for me, for me personally, it's being unprepared. Um, if you've been given uh, a song to learn or sides to prepare for for a casting, um, you know, coming off book if you can. Now, particularly commercial castings, you'll you'll get sent the material the night before the casting. So, if there's pages and pages to learn, obviously we wouldn't expect it to be off book but to be as familiar with the text as you can be. But, um, you know, if you have a few days to prepare, there's no excuse for being, you know, for not being off book and coming in prepared. Um, there's nothing worse in the casting than someone continually just looking down at their musical or the script and not being able to perform out because they haven't learned the material, they haven't familiarised themselves with what they're doing. Um, and, for, you know, from, from the other side of the table, it's very frustrating because you don't really get to see how they can perform. Yep. And I mean, I think we've we've all gone into auditions and forgotten words or forgotten moves or forgotten lines or we've forgotten sections of a song because you're, you know, of nerves or a distraction of some kind. But you, you, you've got to always give your best. and It's got to be as polished as you can get it. And if you want the job, you've got to show them as... Uh, as, as as best you're going to be in that environment and that's that, you know that's going to be tricky um but that's what we're here to do and you, you've, you've got to be prepared i mean the amount of people that turn up with the wrong music or the, they haven't got it in the right order or they haven't got it in a folder or uh, it's difficult for the pianist to read or there's strange cuts in the music or you know you you turn up and you only know half the song or one verse or two verses or mm. you know you, you or, or you don't have enough rep you know, you come along with one song, they've asked for two, or you, you, you turn up with two songs that are, are different to what they've actually asked for. You've got to be prepared, haven't you? You've got to, you've got to learn your stuff, know your stuff, and give your, your best performance in your audition. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we, you know, was really drilled into us at GSA. Um, you have to have a repertoire of a good few songs with different styles. And if someone asks you for one of those songs, you have to be prepared to sing it on the spot and know the lyrics and know what you're doing. Um, the amount of times people come into an audition and even singing their own material, they haven't known it, they haven't you know, been familiar with what they've, 
what they should know. Um, it's really frustrating. Um, and again, it, it just shows a lack of professionalism on their part. Yeah, I can remember, this is a funny story, and I, I remember a guy coming to an audition once who uh, we, we'd asked for you know, two contrasting musical theatre pieces and every, you know, people were coming in with various things. This guy came in and I, I, we'd, we always say no instruments. Uh, we just want to hear the voice. The voice, the voice <laughs> is the only instrument we want to hear. And uh, this guy came in with a trumpet <laughs> and <laughs> and said, um, "Can I play? Uh, can I sing a cappella and use the trumpet as an instrumental?" And we sort of, "What? No, no, no! You ca you can't do that." Uh, well, he insisted on playing this trumpet, and even when we asked him to put the trumpet down and just sing, he still picked it up. And I, you know, I ended up he wouldn't. He actually wouldn't leave the room after that. Uh, he just wanted to keep playing the trumpet, and we had to get somebody to remove him from the audition. <laughs> Uh, what I only wanted to do with that trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. But if you've been asked to do something a cappella, come, come prepared to sing a cappella. If you've been asked to, to bring a couple of pieces for a piano, don't bring a backing track and say, sorry, I don't have the music. You know, mm -hmm. come prepared. Be prepared for what has been asked. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on to number three. What's the third biggest casting failure for a performer? Um... I think personally is being apologetic and making excuses. You know, when you walk into the room and already you're apologizing even before you started and you're saying, oh, my voice is not great today. I've had the flu and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as a panel, we really don't want to hear that. Um, I think you have to walk in, you have to own the room, you have to have confidence and you have to commit to the moment in what you're doing. Um, it's, as a performer, it's a very, very fine line between having that confidence but being arrogant and you never want to kind of cross that boundary and step into that line of, of, of having arrogance but you also need to be confident and also you know you need to make us believe that you are the right person for the job it's 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 almost an art you know learning how to audition well um, and learning to kind of really understand what the panel wants and what they're looking for um, but I think you know being apologetic never helps yeah. Never, never gives a good impression. It's one of my biggest, biggest hates. I, mean, I always have done. I just think, you know what? We, we as a as a panel are experts in our field. We kind of know. Certainly, certainly, if there's a musical director on on the panel, we kind of know if there's something going on in the throat, um, or if there's something not quite right, or you're not feeling good, or we can hear it, and we will make exception and allowance for that in our mind, and and ask afterwards. You know, is everything okay? You feeling up okay? Blah blah blah. The minute you start apologising. You kind of on your back foot. I mean, you kind of think, oh, well, this is not going to be great. Why? We don't want to listen to something that's not great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't actually know if it's true or whether it's just nerves affecting your audition. Um, and we have to judge you on what we hear right at the start. So if you're not 100 percent, we're not going to hear 100 percent. We're not going to judge you on 100 percent. We're going to we're going to judge you on what we hear. And we're not you know, we can't think, well, if that's 50 percent. Uh, uh, well, I, I know what 70% to be, or if that's 70%, I know what 100% is going to be like. We won't know because sometimes we've never heard the singer before. Yeah. Um, and so we can only judge you on how you are that morning, that afternoon, that evening, that day. And you just have to go in, do the job and sing it. If you don't feel you're up to it, you can't give 100% and you think, well, I'm not going to, you know, I won't be able to show them what I'm made of. Then don't do the audition. But go in there with the best attitude you can, as, as you say, 
Give 100% of what you can at that moment and let us be the judges of what's good, what's bad and what we think you might be capable of. Absolutely. And, and you know, what performers have to understand is that we want them to do well. We want you to show us that you're right for the part. We want to give you that role. Yeah, that's a that's, great... That's what we're looking for. We don't want you to mess up. And if you mess up, it doesn't matter, you know. People mess up all the time, but don't stand there and suddenly go all coy and apologise. Just, you know, accept it. Things I think that's it. Sometimes, but dust yourself off, pick yourself up and get on with what you have to do. I think there's always been that thing of people thinking that it's them against us, uh, us against them. You know, it, as a performer, I've auditioned many, many times. Gosh, I've had my fair share of forgetting words and forgetting lines and, and just not singing terribly well. Or, or you know, in the early days, I can remember going for a, a, an opera audition and taking a piece of music that I didn't like the key of and asked them to transpose it at sight. Um and for some really great pianists, they can do that. Others can't, and this woman couldn't, and it was at the most horrendous audition. They, they, they loved me. They thought I had a great voice, at the, but it made the pianist look really bad. But that doesn't help your audition at all because it, <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't help you do a job. But, so you end up going, is, oh, I'm really sorry, but can I do it in a different key or can I do this? I've never gone into an audition saying I've got a sore throat. You know, that's the most amateur thing in my eyes, even if it's true. It's the most amateur thing you can do is, oh, yeah, I've got a sore throat this morning. Well, okay, well, either you're not a very good singer, you haven't, you're technique's not very good because you've been singing the night before or had a, a big night the night before and your, your voice is knackered um or you're or you are ill but we don't need to know let's us make the judge let's make let us make the opinion yeah absolutely so on to number four of the five uh, biggest casting failures but before we do number four i just want to have a moment to uh, remind people if you go to the website at www.alifeinmusic.com you can subscribe not only to the podcast but you can subscribe to the site and there is a link on there to download 10 tips to the perfect performance and it's a little ebook that you get totally free without any obligation at all other than putting in your email address and your name and you'll you'll get sent that straight away 10 tips to the perfect performance it's a really great useful document that will really help you uh, think about how you're performing and how to get the best out of what you do so just head on to that site alifeinmusic.com sign up to that and uh, and we'll send you that right back so okay on to number four for the five casting failures as a performer what's number four Number four, uh, again, just my own personal view. Um, but for me, it's just an unprofessional attitude and, and people being rude. Um, so, for example, you know, if, if you're given feedback but not taking it in a positive manner, you know, we're trying to help you, we're trying to advise you. Um, I don't know if you remember, but one of the people that auditioned for Godspell uh, walked into the studio with a cup of tea in his hand. <laughs> I do. Put it down on our desk. Yes, I do. Um, and, <laughs> I think we were all just a bit taken back by that. It was really rude in in our books, and really kind of you know, why, why would you do, why would you walk into an audition with a cup of tea in your hand, put it on the creative te creative team's desk, even before introducing yourself? Um, <laughs> so that kind of you know it's just an awareness of how you present yourself, you know, coming across in a good professional manner, being receptive, not being rude, not being arrogant. Um, but giving the impression that you're going to be a good person to work with and a good team member, I think, is, is essentially important. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And, and you know, we, we want to try and give you feedback and advice and some directing tips and things to try and get the best out of your audition we can. And sometimes we have time to give feedback, sometimes we don't. But it's very important that if we do want to give some direction and ask you to do something in a slightly different way, 
that you kind of don't take offence to it or don't object to it and just try it because maybe it's something we haven't seen from your performance and we want to see something that's making us think well hang on this guy's or this girl's really good uh but if we could just get them to do that it might just think yes they could do this mm-hmm. it's yeah it's a way of, of if you can take direction it's a way of showing that you are someone that a creative team can work with yeah because they will have a very set idea of how they see a role being played and you know they will want to, in a way kind of slightly mold you into that vision of, of what they want and if you can show in the audition room that you can be malleable, you can work, you can take direction, and you can you know, go in the direction that they want, then that's what they want to see. Yeah, just be bright and happy and positive and just do what you're asked to do. Get in, get out. You know, it's it's all about time in the initial auditions. I mean, later on, as you go through the casting process, obviously there's there's more time to spare and a, more of a getting to know you. But certainly in the first first and second auditions, it's get in, get out and and don't take offence if it's very short and sharp. I mean, even if they only want to hear 16 bars or something, they might hear 16 bars and think, yeah, that's perfect. That's what we want. Let's bring him on to the next round. It's We don't have to hear a whole song to know whether we want to, to bring someone back or not. And mm-hmm. and don't get don't get really arsy. Don't get, don't get rude on us. If we shorten something or stop something or don't let you sing something else or don't do what you want to do because this, at the end of the day, the, the, the panel is controlling the audition. It's not you. You're going in there for the role and you just need to, you know, you just need to go in there with the best positive attitude you can. Just get it done, get in, get out and then there'll be plenty of time later if they love you to go back and prove yourself and show yourself more and show the different attributes of your personality. Yeah, and we hope we do love you. <laughs> Indeed, and that's a good point. You know, we, we want, you, you're right what you said earlier, is that we want you to get the job. We want to cast this role. Often people feel like it's, the, as I said, them against us. We want to fill the role, so we want you to be great. Oh, indeed. I mean, how great would it be if the first person that came for every role was the right person for the job? It would make our lives so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. And so finally, the fifth and last casting failure as a performer, what is number five? Right. Again, for me personally, it's just my own point of view with this, but it's bad submissions or being approached in the wrong way. Now, you know, whether you're a casting director or you're an agent or a producer, everyone has their own preference as to how they like to be approached by performers. You know, some people are happy to be approached via social media. Some prefer emails, hard copy CVs. Some don't mind the phone call. Um, but... You know, I get a lot of people contacting me, particularly via Twitter or social media, and I just get a a one-sentence link, you know, saying, this is me, here's my showreel, (laughs) the link to their showreel. Um, Why why would that make me want to to sit down and take the time to see what you can do and to to watch your material? Um, So it's all about finding out, even before you approach someone... Do your homework and find out how they like to be approached. Don't approach them in the wrong way because then it, immediately that puts you on the back foot. Um, and I've been sent, you know, again, if you're sending a CV, take a few seconds and, and spell check it. You know, the computer does it for you these days. It's, it's so simple, but it's one of those things that just shows you've taken care um, and you've been attentive to, to what you're submitting. You know, I remember, I remember receiving a CV a couple of years ago from a young lady who was looking for representation. And um, she listed her kind of physical attributes and her height and weight and build and everything else. Got down to her hair color and she'd written hair blonde in brackets, willing to die. (laughs) But she'd spelled 
die, D-I-E as opposed to D-Y-E. So I thought, right, okay, well, you're willing to you know, be killed to change your hair colour, okay. Um, so it's little things like that, that that really make the difference when you're when you're approaching someone. So, so for me personally, if someone approaches me and they've done their homework, they know how I like to be approached, I'm going to take the time to either respond to them or get back to them or you know to consider what they've sent me. But if it's just a one sentence on Twitter with a, a link to a show reel, for me, that's a no-no. So again, you know, it's just do your homework, find out how people like to be approached and make sure you do it in the right way to give you the best possible chance of being seen by them. Yeah, yeah. That is, it's brilliant. I mean, you, you, you know, you've said some really great things today, some, today, some really great tips and behind the scenes stuff that's really invaluable to, to performers. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, giving us your five biggest casting failures. An absolute pleasure, Russell. And uh, wishing you all the best for all your projects going forward into the agency and the site. And we'll put, a, put some links in the show links today uh, with some links to your website and stuff so people can check you out and uh, uh, come to you for any questions they have or uh, indeed to, uh, to to look at the casting side of things. Fantastic. Thank you ever so Brilliant. much. Thanks, Mark. Okay, take care. Well, there you have it, my interview with Mark Pettit, producer and casting director. And I'll put his contact details and links to his website uh, in the show notes. And, of course, you can check out alifeinmusic.com for all the information on this show and what's going on in the world of musical theatre and music. And don't forget to keep checking back here from time to time. Check back on the website and uh, subscribe to the blog. And please go on to iTunes and give us a rating and give us a review if you like this show it would be really great to get a five star review from you and it would help us enormously get up the rankings which in turn will enable um, us to um, get in some really great people for some interviews which is uh, what I love doing and uh, bringing in people that can can really inspire and uh, give you some great advice so that's about it I look forward to uh, talking to you and uh, hearing from you very very soon and don't forget be your very best (laughs) 